This is CliffCentral.com. San Bernardo, okay, it's time to rock and roll with Frankly Speaking. What's up? How y'all doing today? Wait, man, I haven't put your mic on. Shut up, we've got to do an intro. Flip it out. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the show. It's Frankly Speaking, one hour, nine to ten. We are the guys that say what's on your mind, but you never said. We've got some people in studio that want to say it. Rory Sang, Shabalala Dumelang. Robert Simonat. But that's a lie, you didn't sleep. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Why are you telling people my Because I want you to be honest on radio, yeah. You didn't sleep. Long night. Okay, long night. All right. Chris Vick. Still ready for this? Is my microphone on yet? No. Put it on. I mean, <laughs> Chris Vick, Salborn, Chris Vick. Good morning. How are you? Fabulous, given that it's like nine o'clock on a Wednesday. Have you ever so. thought of learning a vernacular language, or did you just decide to leave that up to the liberals? No, I learned Zulu when I worked in the in in government in 1994. But by then, I think I was too old and my, my memory was a bit shot. I kept defaulting to other languages I'd learned at school, like <laughs> French <laughs> other, and Latin. So, other shit languages that, you that, tried that, to that, learn. No, so all that, I remember is like I'm a right? So if yeah, you want to yeah. offer me a potato, <laughs> I'm your guy. <laughs> Oh, so you got that down. And I can swear quite prolifically, but... <laughs> oh, really? Maybe not now. No, 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 no that's no. good. Get going here. Let's no, no, start no, no, with that. No, no. My wife taught me to swear, and I can't. So all right, all right fair enough. Double espresso for Chris Vick. He's just got into the studio. He'll be talking to us all about what, Rory? What are we talking about today? What have you decided that we must Oh, the Zuptas being picked on. The zu- the, the Guptas. So the Zuptas. There you go. There's your yeah, first pick on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very interesting. Uh, over, the, over the last couple of... Uh, uh, weeks and months, uh, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, the Guptas and their, and state capture and so on. And everybody's just doing a pile on, on the Guptas, right? These people are bad people. They need to go, but there might be another side to this. Are they being picked on? So today, being the, the social, so being the, the, what, what does Gareth call us again? Uh, the some the social social activists, so, social uh, social justice warriors yeah, that we social are, justice warriors, that's being the social justice warriors that call. we are, <laughs> we are gonna defend the defenseless. That, that title is so for us. Eh? That title is so us. We're gonna try and defend Def- the defenseless because, uh, trust me, trying to find guests for the show was super difficult. <laughs> well, so it, it was very easy when we we're like, oh no, we want to talk about what's happening on the Guptas and the ANC. You're like, oh okay, cool, cool, cool. Like, yeah, the the topic. Is uh, are, are the Guptas being picked on? Oh, sorry, I haven't thought about that. I can't, I can't see. So there's no one. So we thought we would, we would defend them, along with Chris Vick. Uh, when you say we, us, me and you, we're yeah. gonna, we're okay. gonna defend the Guptas. All right, on the line now from uh, Dubai is Atul Gupta. Atul, good morning to you. <laughs> Atul, uh, the line is unfortunately the best person the we could is, get yeah. to defend the Guptas is Chris Vick. If you don't know Chris Vick, he's a guy who walks into studio and says, uh, can we smoke here? Uh, and then we say, what? Uh, what, what do you want to smoke? What do you want to smoke? If it's cigarettes, no. But if it's anything else, yes. Uh, Chris. Tarragon is my favorite. <laughs> Herb. Where do you get tarragon from? From it's spa. Very, it's very difficult to get. <laughs> no, spa. Great oh, so <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got the hundred bucks. They paid me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the hundred bucks I offered you yes, outside the yes, studio? Yes, yeah, yes. I didn't take it. It's a bribe. You see, me, anything coming from bribe. Chris, it's a bribe for sure. Chris, uh, we're going to speak to you about the Guptas. We're also going to speak to you a little bit about the ANC and maybe the Gauteng legislator and what they actually said. Um, the legislature didn't say anything, yeah, just for the record. It's the Provincial Executive the Committee of the ANC. Thank you for that. Uh, I'll do a Government 101 course if you want. Do you mind? Not that's, at all. That'd be amazing because the government is so, you know, it's so complicated for me, to be honest. So I, I would love that. Uh, if you want to tune in or, or talk to us on this uh, If you want to tune in. <laughs> if they're not tuned in, they can't hear you. <laughs> If you want to uh, get into this discussion, uh, 0861-555-189, or you can tweet us at Rory Shabalala at Yebo underscore Levy. And our guest is Chris, what are you? Chris Vic Chris one. Vic three. Chris, Chris Vic, Vic three. three. One and two were taken. By who? I haven't met them yet. I'll, I'll send them a DM and Please see what DM comes Please DM one back. and two and find out. Chris Vic three. Uh, he's always got something very interesting to say. Rory, w- just give us a little bit of context. Why did you want to do this this whole show? I like, like how you know. For all other shows, we never say who came up with. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be implicated in this. <laughs> but for this, well, I think 
it's important to one we are a constitutional democracy there is a constitution mm. there there is a bill of rights um and i i just started wondering whether the the rights of the guptas aren't being trampled upon um in, in everything that's good. they haven't been actually put on trial they haven't been found guilty of anything and now all of a sudden banks are closing they they they're literally struggling to do business in south africa uh and and yes there might be revolting people i've never met them so i'm just simply taking it on what the media is saying these people are revolting people they they've they've got the, the president in their pocket and so on and so on but are they the worst people in this country like genuinely are they uh, we've had we've had we've had uh, collusion by by construction companies and so on. No one stopped. No one closed their bank accounts. We've got people selling drugs to kids. No one closes their bank accounts. What is it that the Guptas have done that is so big that these guys have to be constructively dismissed out of this country? So I'm keen to just explore that and to just understand: Are we picking on? Are, are the Guptas being picked on? You know, um, Chris, I, I do want to bring you in very. Shortly into this, I should hope so. Yeah. Let's hope, yeah. Otherwise, it's been a bit of a waste, waste of time. Trip, yeah. <laughs> but um, Malaika Waazania wrote uh, a couple of days ago an article about sta- the state capture, and um, you know it's become a big buzzword in South Africa because of the Guptas. But take me back to Kodesa days. I mean, I know that you were you were involved in some way or form. At least you were you were highly prevalent in that space of Kodesa. There was a whole. Uh, I suppose discussion point around this idea of corporate citizens and keeping interests of the corporates alive. Just, just take me through that. Was that not just a style of state capture in a different way, or? or? Well, I, I think it's an interesting question because it does go back even before Kadesa, I think before the ANC was unbanned, there was a lot of courting going on from capital, um, and it's continued. I mean, you can you can see to some extent how it's influenced. NC policy and treasury policy. Mm. I think there's a much greater sensitivity to that thing called the markets and economic sentiment than there was before. I mean, before Kodesa, we were just going to nationalize everything, take it over and run a little Soviet state. And, and policy changed as a result of a lot of discussions at wine farms, game farms, etc. And I, th- and I think, I mean, to some extent, that's the nature of post-liberation societies is you go in very hard. You go in a very hard set of demands, but you have to amend. You have to sort of look at reality. I think that the difference, one of the key differences between the level of involvement between business and the state post-1994 compared to what the Guptas have, have been doing is it's been a lot more sophisticated, I, I think, that and a lot more influential because of that. Um, and, and I know where you want to take the conversation. I mean, I think to some extent the Guptas are unfortunate victims of their own heavy-handedness. If you look at the way that they've interacted with ANC leaders and you look at the things that they've said and you look at that crap uh, propaganda TV station they have, <laughs> ANN7 in the new age, so it's very crude. The Anglos of this world, Goldfields, etc., the people who own Bosch and Dalwine estates were much more sophisticated. Mm. Um, so I think that, that yes, the state has been captured from a long time ago, but in, through a different set of strategies and tactics, every, every corporate that cares about its, its, its future engages with government and it, it interacts. It interacts with parliament. It interacts with, with, with the, the NEC. You know, I mean, it's stakeholder law, management, lobbying, et cetera, is part of the game. Um, I just think that, that people have generally been a bit more sophisticated about it. They also haven't irritated people the way that the Guptas seem mm. to have done it. I mean, I, when I worked with Tokyo, for example, and I, I don't like getting into the when we stories too often because it's a <laughs> bit of a nightmare, but, but there were very, you know, there were very distinct approaches that were made to Tokyo by, by members of the Gupta family. There were three cabinet reshuffles while I was working as his advisor. And every time there would be a visit or a call for a, a meeting at, at the Gupta home. Even back then. Yeah. This is 2009, right? Hmm. But if you talk to to Julius Malema about Mbalula, it was around that time as well. 2009 seems to have been when they really kind of hit the ground running. So there would be a lot of offline discussions um, where where a minister would be told by the Guptas, look, the president um, is feeling this way and feeling that way. What do you have to say? Right, So they would act as a kind of shuttle for information. And during those conversations would say, well, you have nothing to worry about. You're going to survive. And the following changes are going to happen. And they would happen. We'd see it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, t- Tokyo went through three cabinet reshuffles. It didn't survive the third. 
I'd left by then. I mean, I'm sure I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but, but, the, but, the discussion, but, the, <laughs> but the discussions were along those lines. So you'd have two things going on. One is the Guptas in a very powerful position because they had information and they had understanding of appointments that were going to be made. So when it happened, you believed it. Mm. The other is that they would talk to ministers and they would take that information back either to the president or the presidency or whoever else that they talked to. That puts you in a very powerful position, and that's different from what Barclays does or what Goldfields does or what Washington does. There's much more; it's much more nuanced with them, and it's not it's not minister broking, which is essentially what the Guptas were doing. They were minister broking. They were mm-hmm. saying, if you do this and this and this, then maybe you'll be in a better position. Alongside that, there's the business empire that they built up. Where, I mean, they've been very clever. They don't play too much in the state space. They don't go for government tenders. They go for private sector tenders. But they go for private sector tenders where, which are heavily, in heavily regulated environments like mining, so licenses, mineral rights, so. licenses, etc. Mm. And there, patronage, corruption, favoritism are always going to come into play. It's mm. always going to be an influencer. And then you partner with one of the president's children or you partner with his, his nephew or someone like that. I mean, it just makes you jump the queue. Mm. And if you've got the, 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 the additional element is if you've got weak ministers in place, if you've got a weak minister of minerals and, and energy or of mining, mm. that person is very easily played, not necessarily by the, by a family like the Guptas saying and doing something, but just suggesting. It's just the whiff of, mm. well, you know, you might not survive the next cabinet reshuffle mm. or you might not uh, get a cut out of the, out, out of the nuclear energy deal. And so that's the way that the game gets played. <laughs> what, what do you think is different then about the uh, treasury and and how you see it seems treasury and and not just at a, minist- a ministerial level but even at um, a, a bureaucrat level you're seeing these guys stand up to to them what what makes them different to to anyone else is it a personality thing or is it more around the the, the caliber of person that's working there well i think both i mean i think you're dealing with people who've got tremendous integrity a lot of the people in key positions in treasury were very active as activists but they understand the economy and they they understand the impact of of a family or a set of business interests that are sort of playing out of their league. So they're very principled and and I think and smart, you know. And if you if you're principled and smart and you understand the law and you understand how these different processes work, you can play it to your advantage. And and, and to me it's a bit like what SARS used to be. SARS used to be before all the jiggery pokery mm. started, right? It was a very sound organization, tremendously effective with great integrity. Uh, then you had regime change and things started to unravel. But at Treasury, a lot of the key people, DGs, DDGs, etc., have been there since since the, the, the end of apartheid, right? So they mm. understand what the real project Deeply, is about. Yeah. Now they get hammered by the left mm. for being too sensitive to the markets or too sensitive to business. That, that's probably a valid criticism. Mm. But their interests are in protecting the economy because if you don't protect the economy, it's poor people who suffer. Mm. The rich guys can take their money offshore as they are. I mean, I saw something in Business Day today about the amount of capital that is leaving that's South Africa, out, right? Yeah. That's tax money that's leaving the country. That's why Treasury, among other reasons, wants to keep the economy intact. It's the rating agencies are an issue, but in reality, if big business is disinvesting, which is what we're seeing now, Okay, the Guptas disinvest to Dubai, but big business, real business, <laughs> disinvest to other parts of the world. Mm. That's a huge amount of money that's leaving the country, and it's money that should go. You guys holding hands? Or? We are, yeah. Okay, we, we that's quite hands, sweet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I'm you're thinking. Your feet under the table. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's about preserving the fiscus in the interest of economic development. And as I say, it opens them up to a lot of criticism because the allegation is they're in the pocket of the Rothschilds, Trevor Manuel, etc., or in the pocket of the big banks. Yeah. Those are valid criticisms, but I think in the same way that they're able to rebut what the Gupta family have been up to, they are to some extent able to rebut what those big corporates are up to. But I don't buy into this thing, as I th- said on your, on your last show, that rich people don't steal. I don't buy yeah. into the argument that treasury is entirely sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are problematic mm-hmm. areas. The, the reality, though, is that in a sea of problematic government departments, it does stand out as one which acts with integrity, which protects the fiscus, and has got the broader interests of, of society at, at stake. So, in summary, the, the Guptas are simply guilty of doing it wrong. Well, I think a lot more than that. Mm. Um, I, I, I think that, that the stuff, the interactions with government ministers, I just think is, is just shouldn't be allowed, yeah. right? The difficulty is not just them. 
if those ministers are tough enough and scared enough to sit there and have that conversation with one person or two people, right? and and I mean the the the, the two Guptas I've met, they okay people, they dress funny and they <laughs> they do, they do weird stuff, right? Yeah. But they're not particularly intimidating. But they've been able to build up this aura, aura of yeah. power. Mm-hmm, yeah. If you are a principled minister, the BC Jonas, for example, you will say fuck you. I'm not sorry. I can mm, say fuck you. You right? can. Mm. You say fuck you. I'm not prepared to do this stuff. Mm. But if you're an unprincipled minister. Or if you've got Smallingana skeletons in the closet, like <laughs> yeah. some some yeah. ministers have in NEC members, then you're in a difficult position, yeah. right? Yeah. Because let's not forget the president. The first thing the president did when he really consolidated his power was strengthen the security cluster. So the spies are talking to him, the yeah. cops are talking yeah. to him, economic intelligence, intelligence, economic crimes people are talking to him. So if you are a minister with small and yana skeletons, number they've, one they've knows leverage, it, yeah. and you can guarantee that the Guptas know it too. Yeah. So you're in a, you're, you're in a, you sort of got golden handcuffs when you should have real handcuffs. Sheesh. So uh, the, this whole thing with around the Guptas, you, you, let's say, I mean, you're not, you're just a card-carrying member of the ANC. Uh, but you know some of these people personally having worked within the government and around them. Are these things real that we're, read- we're reading in the media? Are people literally being going to Saxon World, uh, blue lights going and consulting and getting yes. permission for? Is this, is this real or yes, are we just, it's real. as you said when you came in, it's almost a movie. You can't yeah. believe it's happening. It, it's like uh, a cheesy Chinese mafia. Yeah, movie. yeah. What what's what's going on? How how did this even start? And and is the president aware of it? And I asked this. Of course he is. I, I asked this. <laughs> look, look, so, so bear with me. Some people paint a picture of the president being this guy who's actually a very nice guy who's just very just you know he trusts a lot. So people say, who's Zuma? "Hey, You're talking about Zuma right now." Yeah, yeah. This is this is a, a point of view. <laughs> this is a point. Well, of that's focus. a good question. <laughs> that is a good question. How many presidents are po- there? There's okay. a point of view. People are like, "Hey." Uh, this guy just ask people come and say, look, we want to do this. He says, are you sure it's going to work? Yes, it's going to work. And then they let him down eventually. Or, or is this like, is the president sitting there and just having very sinister dealings with these guys towards a certain end? I don't know because I'm not in that inner circle, right? But what I see and what I experienced the last time I was in government in, from 2009 to 2011 was that the, there's a lot of second guessing. By people pretending or purporting to be acting on behalf of the president. And there's a lot of second guessing by the people that those people interact with. Right? So that's why to some extent it is like a bad mafia movie. You've got people who are carrying messages one way and carrying messages another. Mm. I don't believe for a minute that President Zuma doesn't know about this stuff. Mm. I think the he 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 and that kind of stuff is very disarming and you know, he's sweet and he dances well and stuff mm. like that. But someone who's been in ANC intelligence since like 1975 mm. has got a very sharp he mind, knows, got a very knows, keen yeah. understanding. And I, and I think, you know, I, I think some people are fooled by the veneer. Some People buy into it mm. because of loyalty. You know, I mean, mm. criticizing the president is criticizing the ANC, criticizing the world. And, yes. I, and I think that line gets played yeah. quite often. But I, I mean, I have no doubt that, that he knows about it. I just don't think that there's an objective set of heads within that space at the moment who know how to deal with it, right? Because we're so far down the line. If you think of when the Shabir Sheikh stuff started mm. and you think about the Gupta stuff and you think about all these other issues, you've got, you've got eight, nine years worth of deals and trade-offs and, and little mm. kickback things that were done that escalates and escalates and escalates. Mm. And I think what's happened is that it's reached a tipping point now because there are just too many people who are pissed off that the Guptas have had the access that they have. And it, I don't think it's just the, 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 Minister, minister broking. I think it's the business stuff on the side. Yes. There's a hell of a business empire that's been built up. Mm. And the potential with the Optima deal and supplying coal to ESCOM and possibly the nuclear energy deal is if you're, if you're just a junior minister, you're sitting back and you're watching all that stuff, all that money getting offloaded yeah. to other people. Cause I mean, if you're a minister, right, it might sound like a fabulous lifestyle, but the reality is the president can call you up on Sunday morning and say, chief, Thanks, sir. Mm. It's done. Mm. You you lose mm. the bl- no. It's that mm. sudden. You it's lose brutal. The perks, yeah. There's no. Here's a handkerchief. There's nothing. It's just <laughs> here's the announcement from tomorrow. You're ambassador to I don't know, yeah. Turkey or something like that. It's very brutal. Mm. So you lose all those perks. 
you lose the blue lights, you lose the bodyguards, you lose the house in Cape Town, the house in Pretoria, you lose a salary of around two million a year. But most importantly, you use the access, you lose the access to resources mm. that you would have had <clears throat> in that position of power. So when the system spits you out, it doesn't just spit you out yeah. without the check. Messy, it spits yeah. you out without the power. Yeah. And I think if there are, if there are ministers or deputy ministers sitting there watching this stuff go down, so they kind of living day by day. Cause we had a lot of talk about cabinet reshuffles in the last few mm. months, right? Yeah. Every six months, these things come along. It's a cuck life. You're yeah. living, waiting for the guillotine. Yeah. And on the other side, there are some guys who are, who are doing all these dodgy political deals and beyond that, making huge amounts of money. And, and, and I think and that level, futures, yeah, right? and I think that level of discontent is what's starting to spill over now. That's mm-hmm. why it's been there since 2009 at least. But I think the level of envy, emotion, passion, greed that's got it, that, that's, that's accumulating has just become too much for people to bear. It's uh, nearly half past nine here on Cliff Central. We are frankly speaking, <clears throat> and we are speaking to Chris Vick. He is just a wealth of knowledge. Really is like that fifty bucks worth a wealth of gossip. (laughs) (laughs) This is what fifty bucks gets you in in the Cliff Central. A wealth of knowledge. Uh, We're speaking about did the Guptas get a raw deal? Have they been sold out a little bit? Are there other people that should be sold out too? Uh, State capture being a big buzzword lately. Uh, If you want to get involved, please do WeChat us at cliffcentral.com or hit us up on Twitter at yebo underscore levy or at Rory Shabalala. We'll take some of your questions a little bit later as well, Chris. Um, just from a corporate political speak, Oak Bay, we saw the resignations of, uh, Zuma's son as well as the Guptas. That's just, I mean, that's just smokescreen, surely. They still have their interests. They're still involved. They still get money from the company. You what still your thoughts? Own 70% of the company. Exactly. Or like that. Well, they also haven't emigrated. I mean, if you, I, I, I think yeah, we've kind just, of been sucked into They flew for a holiday. Thinking, exactly. In yeah. Dubai. With, according to Atul, the tweet he tweeted in there, it's pretty can't get him back on the line, but. <laughs> I mean, he tweeted on Sunday morning, don't worry, we're on holiday. We're coming back and we're going to live in La Lucia. Oh, and wow. by the way, there are five wives, not one or two, which is what City Press said. And that tweet got deleted, right? Then you read the City Press story. Nazim Hawa, CEO mm. of Oak Bay. Mm. Whole lot of sob stories about the kids, this, and a yes, whole yeah. lot of stuff, right? Nothing that says they have left the country permanently. No. So I think we, we as a nation have been suckered into thinking that they've emigrated. The reality is they are going to come back. That's mm. why they might have resigned as directors, but they're still very definitely shareholders yeah. in Oak Bay, right? Mm. I watched Wag the Dog. Oh, what right? a brilliant movie. Wag what the dog. Wag the dog. I often use with when I try and teach people propaganda because it's all about creating a diversion. Yeah. Wag the dog. American president gets into a sex scandal. What do they do? They pretend they've invaded Albania and they make a movie that <laughs> with do, green screens screen and everything. Screens, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. A brilliant diversion. That's what's going on at the moment. There's a diversion. The Guptas are coming back. They're probably going to live in KZN. I don't know. You know, we can speculate as to why. Mm. Maybe Saxon World is a bit too high profile. Get yourself a nice, Quiet house in La Lucia live there, and they're going to carry on running their businesses. Yeah, um, have, have you seen the latest series of House of Cards? Because it's a similar thing where the president's in huge trouble with scandals, and I won't give it away, but he then creates a complete misdirection, yeah. and this is exactly what that yeah. is. I mean, how? Like I've always been thinking about it since since it broke. How did everyone know that they left in a private jet unless someone went and said, guys? At 11 o'clock on Saturday, just go to Lanasia, you know, at Lanseria Airport, Lanasia Airport, it's a new one, uh, Lanseria Airport, and check out our private jet with all our bags yeah. leaving. You know, I mean, but, it's but, but, total but, rubbish. So, so the interesting thing there for me is uh, Julius has been the one basically feeding us a lot of this information. Why would Julius willingly uh, share information that, I mean, Julius is, is probably trying to orchestrate the downfall of Zuma. Uh, as a big revenge, um, and and a lot of these things. So so we heard, for example, that it says that uh, Zuma was carrying money off to Dubai. Um, it wasn't an official visit. I, I saw something recently that Zuma is planning to skip the country, uh, and so on. Why would uh, Julius? Uh, surely Julius wouldn't want to 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 play into this game. I think he's driving this game. I mean, I think it suits the EFF perfectly that they are the trendsetters in terms of South African politics. Mm. And because I, I, I mean, for me, that's the the core phenomenon is if you think about 
the Gupta issue slash state capture, and you think about the Constitutional Court in Nkandla, both those issues have been pushed by the economic freedom fighters. Mm. Both those issues have been mm. ratcheted very high up the public agenda. And I think the EFF, rightly so, is enjoying that space. It's mm. enjoying. And so the next phase is you just keep feeding these stories about money being taken to Dubai, mm. uh, removals trucks outside the house in Saxon world. I mean, I, they're on a roll. And I think they and at a certain extent, uh, they can start feeding us anything and we'll believe it. And, and I'm, I'm sure they hope that. It, yeah. I'm sure they hope that. I mean, I think that's the difficulty with, with what, what I call single source, single focus journalism is, is, is journalists become obsessed with an issue mm. like the ANC Gauteng issue. They become obsessed with it and they follow it and they rely on single sources, right? And that's the difficulty for the public, for yeah. consumers of media is this thing just runs, particularly with social media. A story can just run and run and run. And then we forget about it right? mm. and, and we move on to the next thing. But, but for me, an important point, there was a very low profile story a couple of weeks ago about the Guptas appointing a London based PR firm yes. called Bell Pottinger, yes. right? Now, I don't think Bell Pottinger were brought in for a week and then they disappeared. And we've got to keep those sorts of things in the back of our minds. Mm. And in the same way that the EFF has an agenda, which is that it wants Zuma to go, the Guptas have an agenda, which yeah. is they want to survive. And, they want and to stay. Yeah. yeah so, so get some UK based spin doctors to come up with a classic diversion, leak it to one particular journalist or newspaper, and you just sit back and watch it burn. That's mm. the way the game goes. But now the interesting thing for me, Chris, is, you know, we, we spoke about the state capture and, and that it's not just the Guptas. Do you think that there are, other interests that have been around in the country for longer, you know, you speak about Boschendale Farms for some reason quite, quite adamantly, but you know, that old money of the Stellenbosch money that used to run the country, do you think that those people are potentially now saying, hey, hold on a second, EFF are doing a good job of being the loud hailer, let's feed them a little bit of information, let's, um, and money, and money, yeah, mm. and, um, and then let's see what happens. I'm sure that's going on, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's interesting to watch the, the financial press narrative around the EFF to read someone like Peter Bruce, right? Who, who the former editor of Business Day yes. now writes for the Sunday Times and Business Day, who a year and a half ago would have laughed off the EFF as a bunch of kids in red overalls. And towards the end of last year, he took that petition that the EFF gave to the Joburg Stock Exchange and did a critique. And the balance of his summary is, these guys are onto a good thing. They really understand the evils of the, of the current economic model and are talking about real change. So to some extent, the EFF is mainstreamed in the financial press. Mm. I think that also means it's mainstreaming in terms of its access to business. Mm. You look at the trip to the UK, right? Yes. I mean, they met with the financial axis of evil, mm. but the financial axis of evil wanted to meet with them. The same when they come back here. Yeah, I'm sure they're being courted by businesses who are hedging their bets, right? Mm. I mean, these are local government elections. They're going to be interesting. We've got national elections in, in 2017, I think it is, or 2018. 2019, I think Sorry, it is. Sorry, yeah. I got yeah, F cool. for maths. It's, yeah. it's fair enough. Bummer. It's harsh, but it's I fair. know it's coming, but I don't know <laughs> where it's coming. But I'm sure they've got their eyes on there, which doesn't mean you jettison the ANC or you jettison the DA. Mm. But you spread bet politically. Mm. Right? That's how, how mm. most of the banks do it, mm. is you give equal amounts to political parties. And if you're paying for fundraising dinners, buying a table for a 100,000 rand, you're, you're basically just giving them money. Mm. No one really goes to that thing for any other reason. You're mm. giving them money. What do you get in return for that 100,000 rand table? You get a meeting with, with Juju or you get a meeting with Floyd or somebody like that. And as a business person, you can begin to build a relationship. That's the essence of stakeholder management, right? Mm. Is you want to have a relationship with the current political decision makers, but you also want to have a relationship with the future. The next generation, yeah. And that's exactly what Anglo and Boschendale and everybody did when the ANC was still Who banned. is Boschendale? Let's just get to the bottom of this. Why have we got a vendetta with them? No, I What's mean, the they, problem with them? No, they, they, it, <laughs> Besides it, shit wine, what is the problem with them? <laughs> during the during the late eighties, early nineties, right? They, one of, it was one of the sweetener deals that was made to emerging black business. Boschendale, as I understand, was part of Anglo American. They didn't really need the wine farm, so they sold it off. So they sold it off to people who were aligned to the ANC, people who used to hang out with Brad Kebble. So it was a very clever deal because suddenly you made instant millionaires out of people who didn't even drink wine, never never mind how to make it, <laughs> but it bought political patronage. And that's mm. essentially what this, this relationship between business and politics is about. Mm. It's about Buying patronage, Chris. You you, you speak about. I um, forgot to touch his hand, and he was about to ask another question. <laughs> I was, but it's fine. You know, like he's he's lost the, the sign language going on in the studio here. You know, honestly, you raised Julius uh, uh, and the EFF, and and 
it sounds like they're being courted and so on. And they, obviously they came on this wagon of, no, we, we are anti-capital and so on. And now they seem to be courted and so on. How has Julius escaped being, I mean, first it was Kebble and we know that, uh, um, Balula was, 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 was heavily involved there. Uh, and now it's the Guptas. How did Julius manage to navigate all his way through and never, and never be scared? There's, he seems to be very confident and no one seems to be able to touch him uh, on the Guptas. I would have assumed that in all of that, he would have also started to, to dip his finger in the pot. He did dip his finger in the pot. I mean, yeah. if you look at the public mm. protector's report, etc. But he played in a provincial pot, not in a national pot. Right. Where, where, I mean, there was, I've seen roads in Limpopo that yes, aren't roads, yes, but I mean, yes. he got the tenders to build that. But I mean, specifically with the Guptas and so on. So he never, or he was just happy with, with, with the provinces. See, I, I don't know him. Well, I've interviewed him a couple of times and we've had a couple of chats. I think despite what the public narrative about him has been, politically, he has a lot of integrity. I mean, he stood his ground with that ANC disciplinary process. He stood by what he said. He could have capitulated. He could have done a deal. He could have mm. brought himself back in. He didn't. I think he's very principled in terms of what he believes and what he stands for. And I think that's some of the glue that keeps the EFF leadership together. Floyd Shivambu, I think, politically, is very principled and very smart mm. around how the economy works. And Boiseni and Lozi is mm. the same. Dali is 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 close, right? But I mean, I, I think that, that that's you know, I, I mean, I think that in a sense, what's got lost in a lot of progressive politics in South Africa is is principle. It becomes about expediency, and I think where the EFF has been successful is they are expedient when they need to. But there's a glue that keeps it together. Mm. But they're going through the same process that the ANC went through before it was unbanned, where you are being courted by people who say no strings attached. Mm. But the strings are there, mm. and they're going to be pulled at some stage Always. or another. Mm. So you'll see a, a greater sense of realism, I think. I mean, it's going to be interesting if the EFF wins a municipality, if they win Polo Kwane, or if they win another municipality. It's going to be fascinating to see how they deal with being in power. Mm. Because when you're in power, the politics around you – is completely different to when you're in opposition. Not slightly, fundamentally. Because in a sense, you've got to Mm. now implement, you've got to walk the talk, Mm. but you've also got to broker particular relationships. I mean, if the the EFF and the DA get enough support in China to form a coalition that keeps the ANC on, they are going to spend their whole lives trying Mm. to cut deals with the DA, right? Which Mm. is going to compromise their ability to provide uh, services to the poor. It's going to impact every city in South Africa has borrowed money globally, right? It's going to send a weird signal to people who've invested money in Swana. The, the, the implications are phenomenal, but for the, for a party like the EFF, it's a huge reality check because suddenly you've got to do it. Yeah. And there's only so much money and there's only so much time to do it. You know, it's funny because but this is going to the Guptas. Are you, do you want me to bring you guys back on track? <laughs> no, no, no. We're so, okay going off yeah, the, free off the charts. Cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, we always knew we were going to free will with you. Um, but just to, you know, bring it back a little bit, there's been a lot of criticism around Guptas and state capture and how bad the ANC are and blah, 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 and, you know, all this bullshit. But um, what does success look like in a democracy, in a modern democracy? Because, you know, we look at America, for example, and they have what's called lobbyists, which to me just sounds like another word for state capture. I mean, the NRA do what the hell they want. Mm. I mean, the gun, the gun the control gun lobby, yeah. in America is ridiculous. You can order them online and people get shot every single day. Um, that is a way of state capture in my mind because they, they literally run. They've got a big lobby. They put hundreds of millions of dollars into politicians and to parties. They do what they want. What does success look like in terms of this kind of government versus corporate, you know, um, I suppose, interaction? I think a core problem with the way South African politics is structured is there is absolutely no transparency around party funding. In the US... So this is what a hung wanted, wasn't it? Who's a hung? <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a, there was a civil there was a civil <laughs> society movement with Zaki Ahmed and a few others at the head, which was campaigning. I mean, and it's a it's a really good idea because I mean I don't hold the US in the high esteem you do, right? But I think that no, no, I don't. I think I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. If you look at the if you look at the way that the the, the primaries are being run. Every candidate has to declare every cent and dollar that comes in, right? Yeah. And I imagine a situation like that in South Africa. It's not going to change this stuff overnight, but it's certainly going to make a difference if we know who's putting money into the ANC, yeah. who's putting who's money into the DA. Gender, yeah. Yeah, it, it really, because then you can start to – you've got nothing to compare it against. You might think that British American tobacco is very successful in influencing – 
the ANC and government on tobacco legislation or in smuggling cigarettes, which seems to be the, the core business of some people in the tobacco industry. Mm. But unless you know how much money is being put in, you can't really compare the, the level of influence. And it's interesting. I don't, you mentioned Akhang. As far as I know, all the big po- political parties in parliament have said no to any kind of transparency around political funding. Because uh, they all Akhang, benefit. That's probably because they got fuckle from from <laughs> business anyway. But I yeah, mean, they got one funder effectively, yeah. So that's fair. Who <laughs> <Mom Pelle, laughs> yeah, shares? Exactly. But that, but that's the reality, right? Is is it's not it's not in their vested interests yeah. to be transparent about where the money comes from. So that's funding for political parties. Then if you take it into the state, if you take it into government, right? I mean, I fill in a tender form every now and then. You have to sign that you've got no conflict of interest and you haven't been blacklisted by Treasury and stuff like that. And, and Treasury is trying to tighten the procedures around procurement. How do you sign that with a clear conscience? Because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, but I don't like tenders uh, because they're often there's a black there's a there's a bypass that you have to go through. A black so was that a little bit of bypass? A black pass? That's what he said. A black pass. A black guy in the way wanting a tender. Backhander. But uh, but there's often I mean so so the tender process itself is also corrupt right so so you've got a problem with party funding you've got a problem with who gets business from government in that environment it's a picnic for 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 lobbyists you know they can sit in parliament all the time they can take the MPs out for lunch or dinner or whatever they can take them on a on a boat trip to Mozambique all that kind of stuff happens mm. and it's very very difficult to measure. Whether it works or not. Yeah. Uh, but Chris, uh, uh, one of our, uh, our listeners, Bradley Shaw. Your listener. You uh, no, yes, no, no, exactly. no, no, no. You're right. You're no, no. My mom doesn't have Twitter, so she can't speak to us. Anyway, Bradley Shaw, Bradley Shaw says, tuning in now, uh, has Stellenbosch conversation taken place yet? Uh, who is behind the attack on the Guptas and Zupta? Uh, so this Stellenbosch thing keeps coming up. Can you just, uh, uh we're much younger. We don't understand the Bruderbond <laughs> and all of those things. Can you explain to us why the Stellenbosch conversation keeps coming up? But even the examples you provide are Stellenbosch based. What's going on? And, and can you explain, for example, Naspers? Did they ever pay back the money? Because that was funded by the state. Uh, it's a company that was funded by the state or at least established off the state coffers. Um, was there ever a call to, to, to Naspers, for example, to pay back the money? Uh, or was that just privatized? And I don't know. I think Naspers was formed in about 1913. I, even I wasn't around. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of the Stellenbosch, what's called the Stellenbosch Mafia, mm. I think where white Africana capital has been really successful is in reading the political environment before the rest of us do. So I think they've been very successful of getting a sense of where the economy is going, getting a sense of where in government the strategic levers are that you need to pull. And I think, thirdly, much more subtle than the Guptas. Right? Mm. It's much more subtle. Mm. And I think that makes it more effective. Um, but, I, so, but I don't think the Stellenbosch Mafia and the Guptas is it. I mm. mean, I think it's happening in municipalities, it's happening in provinces, it's happening at national level, happens in the mining sector, happens in tobacco, happens everywhere. The The... The difficulty is I think that when the Guptas were under particular attack, their diversion was, but what about the Rothschilds? What about the Stellenbosch Mafia? What about Naspers, et cetera? Mm. Mm. So, so, and again, I think the difficulty with, with public opinion is we have this single focus, right? We don't take a look broadly at how state captures happen and what the impact is. So as, as, as a person who's just sitting there, it almost sounds like we're, we're helpless. This happens all the time. It's happening. What, what, what's the logical conclusion of, of what's going on? Or is this just how life is and we must just accept that that's just how life is going I'm to afraid, be? I'm afraid that's how life is, young man. That's oh the way dear. it rolls. Oh dear. There's no sweet solution. That's there's why no he's a ha- communist. There's no I mean, happy way out of it. Like <laughs> <laughs> now listen, Chris, I want to... I thought you said I'm an economist. I was getting <laughs> no, 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 He's a communist. He's seen what's parked in the... Yeah, the he's novel. a capitalist communist. That's <laughs> yeah. what he is. He's a Capcom. Um, Chris. I'm a Maserati Democrat. You should know. There we go. Chris, I, I'm interested to hear, you know, we've spoken about the Guptas as the one side of this discussion, obviously stemming from, from Zuma himself. Lots of discussions. I thought it would have calmed down by now, but it seems to be, to be, to rolling forward. Lots of discussions about people, interest groups, civic, civic, civic groups, uh, church groups calling for resignation of Zuma. I mean, just give me your thoughts on this uh, as someone who's, who's been intimately involved in government before. What are your thoughts? 
Do you think Zoom is actually caring what people are saying right now? I, I think what matters is what Gwede Mantash thinks right now, right? Because he's he's the most powerful man. He's in the South real Africa. president. You see, there are more than one this, president. At the moment, he is the most powerful man. Because if you think about it, he's got two inboxes. The one inbox is full of people who've come to testify about state capture and the Guptas. And I can guarantee that nobody who's gone to that inbox has said, I really like the Guptas. I think state capture is a good idea, mm, right? Mm. That is all negative evidence mm. against the Guptas and other corporates and, and against the Zuma administration. You've got one inbox full of stuff about state capture. You've got an increasingly filling inbox with complaints about how the president's responded to the constitutional court judgment, right? Whether it's churches. I mean, every day there are more people. Yeah. Today there's a very interesting letter from Yusuf Dadu's daughter. Yusuf Dadu, you're mm. too young to know, but Rory no, might no, have read I'm, history, I'm right? Enough, yeah. SACP stalwart. <laughs> I mean, uh, so you're getting MK veterans, you're getting the young pioneers, you're getting this increasing body of evidence that's filling up that entry. So there's Guede, right? He's got all these complaints and all this evidence. And it's been done. I think he's very clever in terms of how he's done it. Because what's also going to happen in Gauteng and other provinces is they're going out now, branch to branch. What do you think? What should be done? So that inbox with the complaints about Mkandla is just going to be a mountain. Mm. When that evidence is presented to the NEC, the next NEC is going to be crucial. But even if it's just presented to the top six, you've got this overwhelming evidence, which is critical. As I say, no one's sending in happy, happy letters, right? Mm. That's going to force a decision. And, and I think what's, what the ANC in Gauteng is talking about is, is, is Zuma stepping down as president of the country possibly staying on as president of the ANC. Now you can either do, you can either step down or you can be pushed off. Right? Mm. If you're pushed off, you lose the benefits, you lose the pension, etc. And I'm not talking about a parliamentary impeachment process, I'm talking about ANC mm. doing a tab all over again. Mm. So, so he would lose his benefits. Now he's got a lot of other financial support networks mm. in place, but you lose those benefits. If he resigns, he gets to keep that. Right, so and his dignity is probably more intact. So I would and imagine. And the ANC is intact. Yeah, as exactly. Well. And I mean that's a critical thing because the ANC is bleeding on this issue. You can see it in branches. You can hear it wherever you go. I mean, it's what comrades talk about. It's what the fuck are we going to do, right? Mm. Because <laughs> you've got local government elections in three months' time. It's it's a very short time frame to change leadership. But I think you would feel a huge sigh of relief within the ANC if the president was to step down. Because we, you know, even if you've got an acting president, whether it's Cyril or Khalima, is probably a better option. At least then you can mobilize people and say to branches and members, we've done something, right? Mm. We've heard you. Because mm. I think it's that, it's that organizational deafness that is really pissing people off. The yeah. fact that the evidence is there, right? The ANC in Gauteng saying yesterday the president should do the right the thing. Right thing yeah. The honorable thing. Now, how do you ask dishonorable people to do the honorable <laughs> thing? You yeah. can't. You're going to have to push it a stage further. So that conversation increasingly is happening. But, but, but Can we get him out of the way and get a new one in place in time to mobilize? That's why it's fortunate that the ANC's election T-shirts don't have anybody's face on them. Yes. Right? And the posters, the, the posters all have Happy people black and white models. faces. Yeah. Families, yeah. So you don't have to pull them all down. And Jamaican models. But uh, it, it's... So, won't the likes of KZN uh, act as a bulwark uh, when when that when that when all of the cards start to fall? Uh, you've got so assumedly you've got KZN and you've got the Premier League on 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 JZ's side. Uh, won't those protect him? Um, I think the Premier League has peaked, mm. and I think that it's split. I mean, my understanding is that Pumalanga is no longer. As solidly behind the president as it used well, to be. Well, because the, the the guy in charge is ill, so he's he's probably not as. No, but as, there's there's yeah. more. Well, to black aces only have one striker, so that's the PS, <laughs> that's the problem. There's, with the PS there's more right to now. an ANC province than its leader. I mean, mm. I, there, and there's been a huge pushback by the SACP, for example, mm. Uh, mm. who are irritated by the levels of corruption and patronage. So, to some extent, the Premier League is down to two. It's now a free state and northwest. Northwest, the premier's in Dubai. He's getting a briefing, I'm sure, <laughs> and a few other things, right? And so, so I think the influence of the Premier League is waning. Mm. In terms of KZN, I don't think, number one, that it's a homogenous province mm. anymore. I think if you look at the way the branch and, and, and regional meetings have been going, it's very split. Mm. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see if it emerges with one position. But what I'm hearing increasingly is there is one position, and it's not that Jacob Zuma should stay on oh, as wow. president. Mm. Right? Nor is it that Nkosazana is, is the logical replacement. Yeah. Nor despite what um, Balakambete thinks, thinks her, yeah. her clan says, is she the, the 
exist. Has she, I, she's lost it, right? I mean, she she has lost it. There's no. It I'm doesn't not, make sense. I'm not a doctor. I must yeah. honestly, but 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 come on, you, you look at this, and I think there, there's certain statements that you don't make, yeah. and you don't make at certain times, yeah. and you don't. I can't believe that this woman still has a wits about her. Yeah, I, 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 it was a very strange thing to yeah. do, I must say. Very strange. I, I'm just really interested because we've been speaking about Gwede and the power that Gwede holds and your two inboxes, which I love. Is, You're ha- welcome. Thank, thank you for making this show. <laughs> is Has Gwede been captured? You see, because this is the interesting thing for me, because if the House of Cards starts to fall and Zuma goes, the NEC are so in, you know, engaged and... and committed to to the Zuma thing that surely they are compromised as well surely Gwede is going to be in, in trouble if if Zuma goes as well I he's the next to fall. I think you're a bit of a purist on these issues right I, I think I think compromises are going to be made yeah. and, I, and I think if you if you look at the corruption barometer uh, Gwede is not high up on the corruption barometer okay um, his wife has done a couple of deals mm. which are questionable but as an individual there is nothing. She, he didn't forge his driver's license like the, the latest presidential candidate did, right? Um, <laughs> Who's that? Oh, really? too young to know that. She forged her no, driver's license. I didn't say license. that. No, I, was, I used oh. quotes. And my is fingers. that you leaking to the media? Fortun- oh, Fortunately, she gets driven around now, so it actually doesn't matter. No, it's an old story. She had a fake driver's license. So, so I mean, but, but back to your point, I, I don't think Gweda has, I, I don't think, I don't think people have stuff on Gweda. That is going to compromise him mm. to the extent that, and this is where Sora Ramaphosa becomes interesting, right? Because I keep hearing this two horse theory that in a sense, Gwede is the one who's shaking the organization and building public opinion. And Cyril is the dude sitting on the white horse. He's going to kind of ride it in with Gwede as his, as his uh, success. And does Lonman just hold on to the tail? Or what's the story? I don't there? know. McDonald's. Or, hold on. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. But uh, like I say, it's the time for deal making. It's the time for people to cut deals and, and come to agreements. And I think at the end game is probably going to surprise us all. I don't think it's predictable because the ANC has never been a predictable organization. It's it's made up of more than a million or less than a million. 729,068. So there's a lot of people. Um, but I think with local government elections coming, that's gonna that's the thing that's focusing people's minds right now. The ANC doesn't want to go through the humiliation of losing Nelson Mandela Bay or losing Thailand. The only other thing that I was thinking about, Chris, from a political standpoint, and you know this well from a propaganda standpoint, isn't it a good thing for the ANC for the Gauteng, uh what PEC as you called it? Yes, um, provincial to, executive committee. Yes. Yeah. To say, yeah, actually, we we want we want Zuma to resign because then people because Gauteng is a huge worry for the ANC, right? So if they think that the a- the Gauteng ANC has at least got its head on straight, then people will still vote for the ANC in the municipal election. Isn't that just like a play? It is a play. Yeah, this is all a play. I mean, I think that there are there are provincial strategies being developed. There are national strategies being developed. Um, I think that Gauteng ANC's influence on the rest of the ANC goes up and it goes down. I think at the moment it's higher than it has been before because it's taken a stand on an issue that other provinces are worried about, mm. right? Mm. So it's the kind of, it's the, it's the vanguard of this thing. It's the sharp end of the spear. It's going to be interesting to see what the national response is to Gauteng because that's going to influence how the other provinces behave, uh, behave yeah. right? Mm. But it's an interesting process because if you think about more than a week ago, one or two ANC branches in Gauteng saying, Zuma must go. Right? Then the PEC, PEC has a meeting where it sounds like they decided Zuma must go, but didn't have the balls to say it publicly. Mm-hmm. So they whispered it to a couple of journalists and, you know, it's a nice mm-hmm. bit of fudging mm-hmm. and space for conversation there. Now the process is that they go to individual branches and have that conversation. And the leadership has drawn a line in the sand. That's what's interesting about it. It hasn't said we're going to go out and consult, which is what the NEC said it was going to do around mm. the color. Consultation is fantastic, mm. right? Mm. National leader stands up, comrades, the media is misrepresented, Mokheng Mokheng is a CIA mm. agent. So you give the line <laughs> and then you ask structures to discuss it. What the ANC in Gauteng has done is said, the line is, we think that an apology is not enough. The president should do the right thing. Mm. Now discuss. Mm. Right? So it's a much more, there's a, I think there's a strong internal the, democracy yeah. that framed that conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I deal in optics, right? Optics are not your glasses. Mm. Optics from a propaganda point of view is that what you see and what really exists 
often miles apart. Mm. The optics of the ANC Gauteng decision are we think that the leadership has told the president to resign. They haven't, but we think they have, right? Mm -hmm. We got all excited when it was on Twitter yesterday. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of space for that conversation to happen. But the optics are this province is angry with the current president and wants to do something about it. That will embolden ANC language, right? Mm -hmm. It will embolden other ANC structures to either say, yes, we agree, or fuck you, we don't agree, right? And and that's what's really going to be And it's a gamble, uh, because if they say we don't agree, it almost then, uh, it it, it weakens them. So so they must be relying, they must be convinced that they hold the the moral moral high ground on this one. Well, even in Gauteng, it's a gamble, because you can't guarantee that every branch in the province is going to agree with you. So what happens if at the end of this process, 60% of branches say, we accept the apology in the interest of the ANC, Gwedeslang means Mm. keep the organization together. Then the leadership will have to go and communicate that. But we've seen with ETOLs, they're very good at, we're going to do this, and then we end up with that, right? Yes, it's kind of compromised yes, yes, politics yes, based yes. on reality. Yeah. That is, is, a, is a distinct possibility. Mm. Chris, before we wrap up, what Are happens? Are play my song? What, uh, happen, what happens to the young, to the young ministers, uh, Figi, and so on? They've just pinned the, Malusi, I think, old, man. He's 47. What, what, but, but what he, about he would have, Gigaba and so on. Their, their political lives are, are over, right? How, how does this, because, Clearly, they've pinned their, 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 their flags to the mast um, and taken the gamble. They're going, they're going down with Zuma, if it goes so, Some of them will survive. I mean, if you think of how – because one the of the – will survive, man. No, one, one, will survive. If you think, if you think when, when Mbeki was recalled, right, and Zuma appointed his new cabinet, he kept in about 30% of the Mbeki cabinet, including Mant Shabalala Msimang, if you remember, mm. right, in the interest of unity, right? You, you keep in some of the national leadership – who, because you don't want to look like you've purged half the organization. So you'll see a, a unity leadership, a unity cabinet, which means that some of the people you've mentioned will survive. I think the, the interesting question on, on everyone's mind is who is next? Who is next in this leadership battle? Could Guede be the next president? Do you think that he wants it? I think he wants it, but I think the reality is he's not going to get it. There's a few people ahead of him in the queue. I think he'd be a good prime minister. I mean, he, the ANC's got organizational weaknesses, but Guede really understands power and he really understands how to manage power. I think increasingly better than Zuma does. And I think as a prime ministerial role, but I can't see him as, as president. I must say, I think Cyril's much more likely to be the candidate, but there is the gender issue, right? And I think that's a real, it's something we can't overlook is the ANC can't afford a president and deputy president who are male. All right, Chris Vick, you've been with us for an hour. Thank you so much for your thoughts on uh, the Guptas and uh, the ANC and Zuma. We really appreciate it. If you've missed any of this, cliffcentral.com forward slash frankly speaking. That's where you can see and hear all the thoughts of Mr. Chris Vick. What a legend. Thank you very much for coming in. We really appreciate your time. He will be back in studio with us sometime soon to speak about Zuma, the good, the bad, the ugly. We look forward to that. Rory? We'll see you next week, Wednesday. This is dedicated to Chris Vick. He chose it. Wu Tang Clang. Baby, have yourself a great Wednesday. Ciao, ciao. This is CliffCentral.com.